Good morning. Hey, so when I was about 14 years old, I remember my dad taking me out to one of these shopping centers that he owned and managed. And in the middle of this concrete jungle in the suburbs of Dallas, he pointed out to a small wooden structure. Driving up closer, I could tell that it was vacant. This place was tiny, run down, dilapidated. But you could still see the old signage. That was still up. It read snow cones. Its owners, for some reason, had decided to sh you know, just close up shop. And as we drove around this little building, my dad told me, he looked at me and said, would you want to open up shop again? Maybe see what we could do with a snow cone business. My 14-year-old brain had never processed the idea of work. See, I'm a Dallas kid, a Dallas kid from the suburbs. And my friends from Dallas, we have this saying, especially for those of us who grew up in the burbs, we're all indoor cats. We love our AC. We love lounging around on the couches, and we hate the heat. Sure, we'll go outside, but somebody better start the engine, run the AC for about five minutes, then I'll go out. The idea of working throughout that summer just didn't sit well with me. So without even considering, really, my dad's offer, I said, nah, I think I'm good, Dad. Didn't want to walk across that hot concrete. Didn't want to be in that tiny building where maybe the AC worked, maybe it didn't. So just about a month ago, our staff had a kickball day, and it included snow cones. Guess who had to do snow cones? <laughs> God has a great sense of humor. And as I was getting ready for that day, I purchased all these different items. It was the snow cone cups, the straws, the ices, the syrups. I had everything except for the snow cone machine, which we had already purchased a while back. And so... This all costs about $60, and as we're serving our staff one by one, I'm counting how much I could potentially charge. Of course, we didn't really charge them, but $350, $350. Oh, you want some extra syrup, some more ice? That's an extra 50 cent. I see you guys judging me. Hey, I'm trying to make some money right now. I should charge you just for judging me. <laughs> so... We made 15 of them, and I realized, wow, I've already covered my costs. Make 100 of them, and I still haven't even gone through half of my syrups. And it finally hit, hits me. That summer, way back when I was 14 years old, I could have made bank. <laughs> I could have become the P. Terry's of snow cones. And yet, I didn't. I missed out on an offer of a lifetime. And Jesus offers us an offer that's so much better, an offer that truly is for an entire lifetime. Over the past couple weeks, we've been talking about Jesus' invitation to be a disciple, to be an apprentice, someone who trains under Jesus, to learn how to live your life in the here and now for the kingdom of God, to experience a different quality of life, one that's filled with peace and peacemaking, one that's filled with abundance and sacrifice, healing and justice. This isn't just about self-improvement, friends. It's a wholesale change, being made new. Jesus modeled this upside-down way of living in the kingdom. In fact, if you look at his life, he modeled a kind of power and beauty that just pointed to the message that he was offering us. 
And he offers the same kind of invitation to each one of us, those of us who would commit to saying yes to his invitation. It's kind of like investing in a snow cone business. It will yield benefits and dividends over time. But at the same time, there is a cost that's associated with stepping into the kingdom of God. There is a relinquishing of our own kingdom. About a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how in Jesus' stories, one of them he shares about this man who goes into a field, he discovers a treasure that's worth more than anything that he's ever seen in his life. And so he goes back to his home, and he decides to sell everything, all of his treasures that he's accrued over his lifetime. He sells it all. He goes back to the field, he purchases it, and the treasure that is contained within. He gives up his own kingdom because he's found something infinitely more worthwhile. And that means he's given up his life. He's given up control over doing things his way. That's no longer a primary aim or concern. And that's what it means to step in and say yes to Jesus. You and I can't be indoor cats anymore. Right? Jesus called this carrying the cross. It's a stumbling block for many. And yet, for others who have said yes, it's become a life of joy. It might feel like a price that's way too high to pay, no matter what you get in return. So it might surprise you that Jesus invites you to do the math, to actually count the costs, to see if life in the kingdom is really what you want. Jesus knew that a clear moment of decision is what activates transformation and new life. And today I want to invite you just to pay attention to two moments within Jesus' life where he invites others to follow him. What might we be able to learn from them? What are some of the things that we could pick up as we see their responses? The first moment comes from Matthew 4, 17 through 25. Scripture reads like this. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets, and they followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. He says the same thing, follow me. Immediately, they left. They left their boat, their father, and followed him. Now, when most people read or hear this for the first time, it feels a little bit crazy. Like Jesus, the Pied Piper, just doing his little thing, casting a spell over people, and immediately they follow like drones. But that's not what's really happening here. There's a lot that's going on in between the lines. And the original hearers of this story would have caught on to the in-between. You see, these fishermen were part of a culture that was raised in the Old Testament scriptures. They would have caught on in the first century of Israel that what Jesus was offering was indeed better than anything that they could imagine. You see, rabbis functioned as the educators, the spiritual gurus, the trusted teachers of their society. They knew and taught the scriptures, and from an early age, 
Jewish boys and girls were raised to memorize and digest these scriptures. But as they aged, only the best of the best, those who made the cut, would get to go on to a higher education. The rest of them would be sent back to their families to learn the family trade, and this was the case for Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And so as others began to go through this higher education, some of them rose to the top. And at that point, they would have the opportunity to approach a rabbi and ask if they could become their apprentice. The rabbi would evaluate them for a season, and if they liked what they saw, they would say, come, follow me. They would pass on to the next generation what they had learned. And this happened in the family trades too. Master craftsmen would take on apprentices. A master builder would take on others and pour into the next generation. Being an apprentice meant that you were the cream of the crop. It was a huge honor to get to walk alongside and under a rabbi. So I don't know about you, but if I'm being honest with myself, I know I probably wouldn't have made that cut. I've missed the mark way too many times. I've lived my life my own way. Maybe we haven't figured out purpose yet. Or when we look at our own lives today, we realize, wow, we've left an entire trail of chaos and broken relationships, things that we're not proud of. But this is why Jesus is so out of this world and revolutionary. Jesus cuts across the boundaries and the expectations of society. He doesn't seek out the religious elite of the day. Instead, he goes into the marketplace, he goes into the streets, and he starts calling ordinary men and women to follow after him. He seeks out fishermen, Andrew, James, Peter, John, fishermen who didn't make the cut to apprenticeship. In fact, none of these men were really qualified. They weren't even at a place where they could approach a rabbi like Jesus and say, hey, can I come under your wing? So Jesus blows the lid off of everything, the way things are done. It kind of be like Serena Williams. If she walked into the room today and said to maybe a, a relatively unathletic woman who's never played tennis in her life, hey, I'd love for you to just be my apprentice. I want to build my entire legacy on you. That w would not make sense, right? That'd be crazy. And yet this is what Jesus does. He's not looking for the most skilled or qualified. He's looking for people who are willing, who are ready, who want to trust him with their lives. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing today. He sees you. He believes in the best of who you are created to be. And he yearns for you to experience transformation in your life. And just like he did on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he comes to each one of us today and he says, come, follow me. For these brothers, Jesus' call wasn't a hard sell. In fact, they knew that they had washed out of discipleship a long, long time ago. But here was this rabbi seeking them out. The most unlikeliest of people, men without a resume. Come, follow me, Jesus says to them. The other Gospels make it clear that these disciples knew what they were walking into, or at least they knew enough about the kingdom of God to realize this is a different kind of rabbi. I want to follow this Jesus, and he wants me to be on his team. James and John's dad, Zebedee, probably 
was rejoicing at the fact that his boys got to leave their nets and follow after this rabbi. And Jesus goes on to recruit others into his cycle and, and group of disciples. He goes after a tax collector, a guy named Matthew, someone that the people despised. The Jews, rightly so, didn't like this guy because he had skimmed off of the top as a tax collector to build his own wealth. And so Matthew finds himself in an irredeemable and inescapable situation. Rejected by his people, ostracized by his own community, he's already dug himself into a hole. He might as well just live into it. And maybe that's how some of you feel today. And yet when Matthew hears and sees Jesus coming, follow me, he sees the opportunity of a lifetime. He begins to hope again. Perhaps there is forgiveness. Perhaps there is options for me to make things right. So he drops everything. He abandons his life, and he goes after Jesus. He counts the costs, and he begins to follow. So what do you need to drop today? What heavy nets might you be carrying around? When we speak of following Jesus as a disciple, as an apprentice, this is what we mean. Come learn from Jesus what it looks like to live a life in the kingdom. To walk in humility, to do justice, and to love mercy. And you see, no one becomes a jet pilot overnight. Nobody becomes a neurosurgeon just by, hey, I think this could be a great idea. No, they go into real intense training. They resource themselves. It takes an investment of time, sacrifice, intentional focus. I remember when this idea of apprenticeship hit home for the first time. In ninth grade, let me just rewind back a little bit, I was trying out for the basketball team, and my coach accepted me. And really, it was because we didn't have enough people trying out for the team. <laughs> and so uh, he made sure that I knew this. He actually took me to the side, and he said, John, you know, we didn't have enough people to try out. You technically shouldn't be on the team, <laughs> but we'll let you on if you really want to play. And I was like, yes, I'd love to. That season was horrible. I don't think I knew how to dribble. I was running the wrong way, and I like, probably only scored one basket. And yet, later on in life, when I jumped into college, I started learning the game of basketball. I apprenticed, really. I, I started to learn from different basketball mentors, people who played in high school, people who were playing in college. And I finally learned how to play the game of basketball. And I never became that Asian Michael Jordan that I dreamed of. <laughs> but I did know how to, you know, take it to the hoop. So what would it look like for you to become an apprentice today? Not to the game of basketball, but in life, to be an apprentice to Jesus. Because we're all being apprenticed by someone or something. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but who is your rabbi? Like, who have you allowed to form you, to shape you? Is it Jesus, or is it some other person or force around you? Is it Jesus, the life giver, or is it someone or something more nefarious? Maybe it sounds like a drive for more, more, more. Like, I can't have enough. I need more. 
an unhealthy relationship. Or maybe it's just you wanting to stay in control, saying to Jesus, you can have my Sunday morning, but the rest of the week is mine. Friends, we can't have it both ways. And I get that some of us are still exploring, keep on doing that, but at some point, we're fooling ourselves if we think we can stay in the middle ground forever. You are either all in or you're not. You're an apprentice of Jesus or you're not. Jesus, with his first disciples, shows us the basic recipe of how to step in fully as an apprentice. First thing that happens in this moment that we saw earlier is that the disciples, or I should say the would-be disciples, perceive an offer from Jesus. Week one, we looked a little bit closer into the parable of the kingdom of God as a treasure buried in a field. We're selling all so that you could take hold of it. If Jesus doesn't impact you that way, that's all right. Maybe Jesus is just inviting you today to take a, a closer look, to look at the scriptures, to, to see and know the life and character of Jesus. In Psalm 34, 7, God says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted, have you seen God's goodness in your life? Have you experienced this Jesus who was and is the Son of God, fully human, fully divine, the God who took on our flesh, our frail humanness? This God entered into our world as a baby, as a refugee, an immigrant who had no home, fleeing the powers of Pharaoh, seeking safety, and yet he has come to seek you and me out, to bring healing in the places of to bring healing into the places of brokenness, to restore that which is broken, to make all things good and right, not just in your life, but in our communities and in our world. What would it look like for you to say yes to Jesus as he says, come, follow me today? Second, there's a moment when the general offer gets really personal, when you realize, wait a minute, this is actually for me. I gotta make a decision. When you step in and you accept the offer of Jesus, you receive the invitation of Jesus. And this is a crucial step. No one drifts into becoming that neurosurgeon. There is a definitive yes that comes somewhere along the way. One of my best friends, his name is Dan, and he said I could share this story. He grew up in a Christian home, went to church all his life, and yet when I met him in college, I could tell that the dude was angry. He had some things that he had not worked out yet. And so he was trying to figure out his identity and work out his anger through some really unhealthy things. He'd go to parties and just get trashed. He'd have these really unhealthy relationships, no boundaries with women. And you can see that there was chaos happening left and right in his life. And yet, he didn't know another way. One day, he realizes as he's in community with other Christ followers, that Jesus is, follow, Jesus is saying, follow me. Come, follow me. In a moment of clarity, in a moment of need, he says yes. He abandons this other life, even though that's all he knows. And he begins to learn and discover faithfulness, self-sacrifice, love, purpose, making things right with the, with the women that, they, that had been hurt. 
when those two pieces are in place, perceiving and receiving the invitation, a joy like none other shows up in our lives. That's what marks the disciples that day when they choose to say yes to Jesus. They experience joy, not just that day, but for the rest of their lives. They trade up, they count the costs, and they realize that following Jesus is worth an entire lifetime. And so they go on to feed the 5,000. They walk on water. They witness miracles happening. They heal. They start to discover what it looks like to be humble, not to be filled with self all the time, to build a legacy that eventually will impact the entire world. And with it came suffering, persecution. Most of them even faced death itself. But if you could ask them now, I don't think you would find any regret about their decision because they lived fully alive for the kingdom of God and they helped others to experience life and freedom. What will you do as Jesus says, come follow me today? I want to contrast that moment where the disciples said yes to another moment in Mark 10. It's the same invitation. Mark 10 goes like this, verses 17 through 22. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said, Teacher, I have kept all of these things since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, you will have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away sad, for he had many possessions. All the same elements are here as in the first account, but did you notice how it played out so differently? When it comes to perceiving the offer, check. This guy knew about Jesus. He even approaches Jesus and says, tell me more about this life that you're offering. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds as a great teacher and rabbi. Jesus looks at him. Scripture tells us he loved him. He loved this guy's heart, his passion. He saw somebody who was hungry for the kingdom of God. And discipleship was the pathway. So because Jesus loves him, he points out the one thing that could be a potential obstacle. The fishermen got this from Jesus too. They had to drop their nets to follow Jesus. In the same way, this rich young man who had a love for wealth needed to surrender that. And just a quick note, wealth isn't necessarily evil. Jesus is not saying money is evil here. He is saying that for this young man, wealth or the love of wealth is what is keeping him from following Jesus. And it's a worthwhile consideration for some of us here today. Is that what's holding us back? The love of wealth for this young man was more important than the kingdom of God. So what happened to him? The cost of discipleship turned out to be too high in his mind, and so he opts out. He perceives the invitation, but he chooses to resist it. He says no, at least in this moment. And the result, scripture tells us, is that he walks away sad. Rather than experiencing the joy of the disciples in that first account, he walks away sad. 
This is a profound description. Those that resist Jesus walk away sad. And it might not happen immediately, but I do know this. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he really means it. He goes on to say, no one can come to the Father except through me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't say, I'm the way, but you can tack on some other things. That's cool. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus invites us, Jesus isn't telling us to become a Christian. He's not saying, hey, you got to know all these different Bible verses. You got to get everything together, look perfect, and be perfect. No, Jesus says, come follow me, and all you need is willingness, readiness, and trust in me. Because that's the only path that will actually lead you into a life in the kingdom of God. In the end, whether we're fishermen or wealthy, whether we're old or young, single or married, across all our different cultures, ethnicities, and sexualities, we each have to come to a decision about Jesus when he says, come, follow me. So as Jesus invites today, will you follow? Is Jesus better than life than you and me? Do his ideas about money actually release you from anxiety and wanting to hold on? Do his teachings about sex and relationships work out better than the path that you've discovered on your own? Does his teachings about relationship bear more fruit, bring more forgiveness and healing than you? Or are you better relying on yourself? Following Jesus means trusting him as Lord and leader of your life because you know that he's got it. He's worth following. He's worth trusting. Therefore, I will surrender my way. Following Jesus is living into the kingdom and recognizing that it is actually better than ruling my own kingdom on my own. I saw this play out with one of my friends from InterVarsity. I used to be on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and it's an organization that works with college students developing faith and leadership. This guy, Andrew, who's a white man, enters into his first couple years of leading, and he meets a guy named Brent, who's an African-American. Grew up, both of them grew up in the church. But Brent arrives, and he works his way into the track team and eventually becomes the captain of the track team. And as he's practicing and running with all of his friends one day, he notices that there is a pickup truck that's circling around the campus track. And these men who are inside of it are yelling obscenities, saying, get off of our campus, you don't belong, calling him things that we can't say here, saying that to his friends. And Brent's angry and hurt, feels like he doesn't belong. As the admin catch wind of what has happened, they approach Brent and say, what do you want us to do? We'll do everything. We'll kick these guys off of campus. They don't belong here. They're not a part of who we are. But Brent, having been discipled and apprenticed by my friend Andrew, who's pointing him to Jesus, looks at the admin and says, don't you get it? Those people? What are you talking about? Those people are you. Those people are me. Those guys grew up in our communities. They grew up in our churches. 
Maybe even in this school, they learn some of this. How can you say that you're about educating people if you can't even embrace them in these places of brokenness? You know what would be cool? I'd love for if these guys could just sit with me and have dinner for the next few weeks. That's what he says. And it confounds the admin because that's not what they expect. It doesn't take away the hurt. It doesn't take away the anger. And yet Brent chooses to follow Jesus because that's life in the kingdom. He goes on an adventure, and Jesus invites you to be on an adventure. I don't know what that will look like in the days to come, but he does say, come, follow me. And when you do that, you're signing away your rights to your own kingdom in place for someone else's. It's an extraordinary amount of trust, and yet Jesus is worth trusting, friends, because Jesus has proven his life to each and every one of us. In Romans 5.8, we learn God proves his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The king of the kingdom lays down his life for us. Jesus pays the price for our mistakes, for our chaos, for our sins. And he's also raised from the dead. He sacrifices himself on the cross, and God raises his, raises his life on the third day. And he invites us. He says, the offer is legitimate because I am alive. You can trust me. You can trust in my power. You can trust in my goodness. Come, follow me. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's a standing offer on the table today for each one of us, friends. Life now in the kingdom of God. Relinquish your own kingdom, as Jesus says, come, follow me. Be my apprentice, be my disciple. Your life will be a classroom. It'll be 24-7. It's not just coming on Sunday. And that makes sense because you will not become the jet pilot overnight. So why would we think that just showing up on Sunday for an hour is going to make you an apprentice? Friends, Jesus is still accepting disciples today. He is alive, and he yearns for you to step into the kingdom, to be transformed, to know joy that you would never know apart from him. And if you sense him saying to you today, come follow me, for heaven's sake, for your sake, for the world's sake, do not walk away sad. Accept and receive the offer of a lifetime. We have way too many people in our world walking around half alive, shackled to their way of living, but never truly living. What would it look like for us to be fully alive? Not just for ourselves, but for our world. To be healed so that we could be agents of healing and transformation. For some of you, maybe Jesus is calling you to follow him for the very first time. And I, invi I invite you to actually pray a prayer with me in the next few moments. For others of us, we might realize that when we said yes to Jesus, we didn't realize that we were actually saying yes to apprenticeship. To show up every day and to learn from Jesus. And maybe that's the commitment that you need to make today. To say, God, I've said yes, but sometimes I, I have walked away sad in my life because I haven't paid attention to your invitation. 
So help me to become a true apprentice. As you sense God moving in your own life, I invite you just to pray with me. I'm going to lead us in a couple of prayers. And if it feels appropriate for you to pray these words in your own heart, then I invite you to do that as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus, the one who gives us the offer of a lifetime, the one who knows life so much more than we do, the one who yearns for transformation in our lives so that we could go on and bless others in our lives. So if we're sensing you saying, come, follow me today for the first time, if that's you, I invite you to pray this next prayer with me. It's in your own heart. Jesus, thank you for your gift. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for your life, your death on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead and meeting me today. I turn away from my own kingdom. I trust you to lead me and to guide me. Make me new because of your son. Thank you for life in the kingdom. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. And for those of us who are ready to take a step into apprenticeship, maybe we didn't realize that was what Jesus was asking and inviting us towards. Would you pray with me this next prayer? God, I confess that I didn't quite understand initially, but I want to be an apprentice. I want to model my life after you. I want you to teach me and to guide me. And so I surrender myself today, and I ask that you would transform me. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, one of those just now, just know that we're celebrating with you as your community, and God is celebrating with you as well. We'd love to hear and connect with you. At the end of the service, we'll have some prayer ministers. If you would just do us the honor to connect with one of us, we'd love to hear what, what this decision meant for you and to pray with you.